You're listening to Soul Radio. Welcome to Channel 33, a new podcast series presented by Soul. I'm your host, Yusra Al-Bakr. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with creators who are shaping the cultural landscape and raising the bar in their respective fields. Delving into their personal journeys, we'll explore the essence of creative work and ingredients necessary for immortal impact. My final guest for this series is the renowned astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, Jessica Laniado. Originally from Canada and now based in California, Jessica has been a practicing astrologer since the mid-90s. Alongside her intimate one-to-one readings, she teaches astrology, including on her popular weekly show, Ghost of a Podcast, and through her hit book, Astrology for Real Relationships. The child of a Jewish-Iraqi refugee and granddaughter to Polish Holocaust survivors, Jessica's rich approach to astrology is partly informed by her own immigrant heritage and a down-to-earth approach to help us build deeper relationships with ourselves and each other. It felt like a great moment for this conversation, at a time where people all over the world are turning to the stars to make sense of life here on Earth. Jessica talked about how to understand information in your birth chart, the snapshot of the sky the moment you were born, including telling me all about mine. There were so many fascinating and unexpected things to learn, like using the language of astrology to better understand everything from our heritage and health to our creativity. And naturally, I had to ask what she sees lying ahead for us all in 2022. Firstly, thank you for your time. I know people pay hundreds of dollars to sit with you. And I promise you, this isn't a way to get a free reading, <laughs> although I was tempted. You're all, um, although, please look at my charting meeting. Yeah, although, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know when I was born, but we'll come back to that. But how did you get into astrology? Like on this series, we speak to people who are creatives, who are craftspeople. And it's been really amazing to see it all come back to spirituality, mm-hmm. all come back to purpose, intuition. And what you do is so immersed in that it is spiritual it is intuitive so how did you come to find yourself interested in astrology and when did it become sort of a serious profession for you mm-hmm. uh first i'm going to answer that but first thank you so much for having me I'm so <laughs> excited uh, when you reached out i was so excited so mutual appreciation society confirmed yes, yes. um so so throwing that out there first you know, when I was little, like Hot Wheels, little, you know, like six years old, I was talking about astrology and I was always really into it. And, you know, the adults around me were like, she'll be a philosopher when she grows up. Um, and then I learned more about astrology and I became just more and more interested in it. And I had pretty anti-capitalist values from a very young age. And so I was ever motivated by like thinking of what I'll do for a living in terms of making money. I always thought of it in terms of impact. And I live in the U.S. now, but I'm from Montreal. And when I was young, I went to something called CJEP, which is a government-funded college programs, like university classes for cheap. And I went to this alternative CJEP where the Jungian psychology teacher in the main college taught at the alternative college, and he taught an introduction to astrology from a Jungian perspective. The synchronicity principle. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. And so I was like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do with my life. And the next semester, he taught the intermediate class. I came out of the closet. I mean, I don't know if I came out of the closet. I like fully realized I was gay and told everyone all about it. And then I was like, okay, so this is just where I'm going to have to go to San Francisco because it was the only place that I was aware of that I could actually make a living as an astrologer, that I could find other astrologers. I mean, this is before the internet. There were no blog posts, you know, there's no social media. So it was really about interacting with humans, reading books. Uh, Those were the only ways you could learn. And I moved to San Francisco in 94 and very quickly found uh, astrology community and started meeting with clients. And by 99, I quit my day job 
and became a full-time consulting astrologer. Wow. And within a couple of years of that, I was lecturing on the astrology circuit to other astrologers uh, and astrology students. Uh, and again, this is a pre-internet-y world. I mean, mm. There was some internet, but it wasn't like, like it is IRL. now. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, yeah, my practice just kind of grew from there. And within that, I eventually came to understand that I had psychic ability and, you know, I'm a medium and an animal communicator and all of these things became clear to me only in my 30s and onwards. So, I mean, just going off that, is this something that is accessible to everyone or do you think that these are gifts that are sort of attributed at birth? Mm. Astrology is a skill that can be learned. Mm -hmm. Absolutely 100%. It's just like being a software engineer. It's you have to learn a language. You have to keep on learning. Uh, there are many different ways, you know, that you can solve a problem, essentially, that you can understand things. And within the world of astrology, there are many different ways to be an astrologer. There are astrologers who are like me, who are consulting astrologers and, and counsel people. There are astrologers that are more scholars. There are astrologers who never make predictions or who only make predictions. Like, there's so many different ways to use astrology. And within that, there are different forms of astrology. So if you are willing to study and become a nerd in the public world, then you can, you too can be an astrologer. Yeah. Now, in regards to psychic stuff, I think it's a little different. Mm -hmm. We are all interconnected. And because of that, we all have access to what many people call psychic or supernatural content, which really is just using more of your own senses, being more connected to yourself. But that said, I don't think everyone can very evidentially work as a psychic or as a medium. Yeah. So it's a predisposition that you can then build and hone. It's the talent, hard work, luck, opportunity. Yes, yeah. that's it. People think with psychic stuff that they get really weird and idealistic about it. It's a muscle. You build a muscle, it gets stronger. You use the muscle frequently. You have more control over it. And if you don't, then you don't, you know, and it's, it is just a skill. And, you know, there can be some really like fantastical things that come of it, but it's really not that fantastical. I mean, it is and it isn't. It's complicated, I guess, but it's also in some ways, I think a lot more simple than a lot of people make it, especially because most people seek psychics or astrologers when they are desperate for answers and have tried other things. And so if you do get help from someone in the woo-woo world that I am in, it's when you're really just like, I've already asked doctors. I've already talked to therapists. Like I'm desperate. So this also, I think, lends people to idealize those who are giving them the answers, which can be really tricky, especially in the world we're living in now. And how do you, how do you deal with skepticism? I love skepticism. I'm very skeptical myself. Um, <laughs> Good, I'm a huge yeah. fan of skepticism. And in the Bay Area, you know, I, I live and work in like Silicon Valley area, you know, so I've had a lot of people in tech, a lot of scientists and doctors as my clients. And I think part of why they like me is because I don't require belief. I don't want people to believe me. I want people to no. think for themselves. I want to give people tools and resources and perspective that they make sense of on their own, maybe empowered by my perspectives or the tools I've given them. But ultimately, it is wise to be skeptical. And that is different mm -hmm. than being shut down or like crossing your arms across your chest and being like, I don't know, you tell me. Like there's there's mm -hmm. like not being open and then there's having healthy skepticism. And then yeah. that said, of course, lots of people are just like astrology stupid. And I don't want to blow your mind, but a lot of those people are straight guys. And I mean, <laughs> I know, I know it's shocking, shocking everyone. Um, yeah. And to me, when you are educated or informed on a topic and you say, I am educated and informed on this topic and I think it is bogus, then I'm listening to you. And if you don't know anything about a topic, let's say like astrology, and you're telling me what it is when I myself am very educated on that topic, then all I take it as is a reflection on who and what you are, not a reflection on yeah. the topic at hand. And I think with astrology, people are really encouraged to poo-poo on it. And some of that is about religion. Some of that mm. is about misogyny. And mm. all of it is not about astrology, you know, yeah. period. So yeah, that's, that's my hot take. 
Yeah, no, that was beautifully said, Thank I you. must say. Thank beautifully you said. Thank you it's a, quite a, a broad, you know, critique of society. <laughs> I loved it. Um, <laughs> so let's let's get to the nitty gritty. Okay, what is a birth chart? And how does one find out what their birth chart is? So how does one find out what a birth chart is, is a deceptively simple question because you could go to my website and put in your birth data if you know your time of birth. And if you don't know your time of birth, there's some workarounds, which we can talk about. But um, you can put in your birth data and you'll see a birth chart. You're going to look at it and be like, I don't know what to do with this because it's a circle with a bunch of symbols you don't know how to read and math. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do that on your website, I have to yeah. say. I did it on your website and I was like, what am I looking uh, at? Okay, bye. What do I do with this? Yes. So, so this is where, you know, people being fans of astrology does not equal people respecting astrology. People having a curiosity about their birth chart is as human as it comes. Like there is a document that tells you about your parents and your health and your love life and your insides and what's going to happen when you're older and what happened when you were a kid. Of course you want to know about that document. Problem is, is that in order to interpret it, you need an expert. And so there's no simple substantive way that I personally would recommend to anyone for having your chart read online because you may get lucky and be like, yeah, that really fits me in some ways, but it's not going to be synthesized in a humane way because it's not done by humans. A lot of astrology apps are created by AI. Uh, not a fan for me. I'm just not a fan of that. Mm. So how there's no intuition. There's none of that, like, you know, connectivity. There's no synthesis. There's no synthesis. And how do you keep in context cultural issues when you're looking only at your pieces or when AI is doing that Mm. to assume that, you know, we're all on the same boat, on the same level of the boat, eating the same food and sleeping in the same room on the boat. That's ridiculous. Mm. And astrology and astrologers need to have that in account, Mm. you know, Um, exactly. And, and the systemic issues and the time we're living in and, you know, all the things we were born into, all of that is relevant. And so, in terms of like how to find your birth chart online, it's as easy as Googling it, but that's not going to really give you the answers that you're looking for. And that brings me to your first question, which is what is a damn birth chart? You didn't say damn, but I felt like I would just throw it <laughs> I in I did for say emphasis. it in my head, like kind of like, tell me what the hell this is. <laughs> what the hell is this shit? Okay. So this is what it is. What a birth chart is, and I'm talking about tropical astrology, aka Western astrology, because there are different forms of astrology. Mm-hmm. But what we're looking at, I'm sure you've seen it. It's a circle. It looks like a pizza mm-hmm. with uh, 12 different slices of pie. Mm-hmm. This is the best way I can describe it for muggles. It. Thank you. Thank you. Me yeah. too. Um, So there are different ways of drawing the birth chart, but I use something called Campanus Houses. And so it gives you lots of different shapes of each slice of pizza. One might be really small. One might be really big. Okay. Each of the 12 houses, aka slices of pizza, mean something. Hmm. And then what we do is based on your exact location and time of birth, we know which zodiac sign, which constellation was rising in the Eastern Hemisphere. Uh, when and where you were born. And that sets all the zodiac signs on the house cusps. And that's another layer of data. And that means something. Mm. We also know based on this information, where the planets were at the time of your birth, Mm. the date of your birth. And then we use math. Astrology is math. It's a lot of math. So then we look at the geometrical relationship between the planets in your birth chart, and that uh, is called aspects, natal aspects. And that describes yet another layer of information. Mm. So there's all these layers of data that are essentially what astrologers look at to understand uh, where the planets were in relationship to where you were born, when you were born. And that articulates pretty much everything. Like, like in the early years of my private practice, and again, this was pre-internet times, I would predict which pens, which styluses people would use to take notes because I made my clients take notes. Um, So I would like provide them with pencils and multiple kinds of pens. And in advance, I would predict just as a way to like, it was kind of fun for me and like silly, but I would predict which one they would choose. And I got really good and accurate at it because you can really get down to that small of a nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of that said, what astrology does not articulate 
is your free will. Mm. So it articulates your trauma, your resources, your personality, uh, the timing of major events, positive and negative. But within all of those things, you have free will. Mm. You can choose to uh, let your life experiences make you bitter and go to therapy about it and work on being bitter and then just become sarcastic and funny instead of bitter and terrible. Mm -hmm. Like you can do that or you can not. Right. And, and then the dichotomy of choosing, we have choices. Yeah. We have choices. And so I think some people look at astrology and they think, okay, well, you know, I'm a cancer and that's what that means. I'm just, I'm just going to be this way. And it, that's not exactly how it works. It's astrology describes what we're working with mm, so that we can, yeah, so that way we can kind of make choices, better choices around uh, who we want to be, how we want to be, how we want to feel, what we want to do. And, you know, this is something that I think is really important. And I'm constantly for my clients and in my work in general, encouraging people to locate their agency and to use their free will to the best of their ability, uh, you know, day by day, minute by minute. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your birth chart. Oh, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, I am sun, moon, and rising all in Capricorn. <gasps> Capricorn, wow. Capricorn, Capricorn. Yeah. Trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called triple. I'm a triple. You're a triple. And what does that mean? That's a great question. So in astrology, your sun, moon, and rising, it's kind of like the thing people lead with. Mm. The sun is your identity and your will. It's what you want people to see you as. Mm. It's kind of the energies that that shine brightly from you. The rising sign, also called the ascendant, it's the energies you throw into a room when you first enter it. Um, mm. There's an astrologer from the 70s who calls it like the mask you wear. And then the moon it's your emotional nature. It's your feelings. It's how you care for others. It's how you digest, you know, emotional information. And so for somebody like me who has the same zodiac sign for all three of those, I have a very unified perspective. Someone hurts mm -hmm. my feelings. It is like a complete event. If somebody makes me happy, it is a total experience, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that is a thing that happens. And but it's not super common to be a triple. So mm -hmm. most people are of various like this is why you're like, I don't get it. Like, I really, really like this person. But whenever I'm around them, I feel badly about myself. Mm -hmm. This There's is kind discord. of exactly there's yeah. different parts of us. It's different parts of us. And I'll also say, you know, the zodiac sign of Capricorn is associated with like capitalism and business and all of these kinds of things. Personally, me, I am not about any of that stuff because I'm a 12th house Capricorn. So the house placement of our planets um, is really essential for understanding astrology. You know, in pop astrology and like meme astrology, everyone's talking about the zodiac signs. The zodiac signs are the things I pay the least amount of attention to when I'm looking at a birth wow. chart. So I pay attention to it, but not primarily. Uh, house placement is really essential. But for that, you do need to know your time of birth uh, and you do need to have more detailed information about astrology. You need to be able to synthesize data. So what is the work around with the time of birth? Because I, I asked my mom and, you know, very Muslim Sudanese woman. She's like, yeah, it was around sunset prayer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do like, I do? Okay, great. And I mean, I, I did guess. So mm -hmm. do you want to guess my sun sign or should I go for it? Just tell me. Just tell me. Okay, I'll yeah. tell you. I'm an Aries. Okay, great. You're on the cardinal axis. Great, great. I love it. Okay, I'll ask you what that means later. And then um, I guess that my rising is a Libra. Okay, so I have a question for you. If you have a Libra rising, yeah. there's a way you're going to answer this test question. Okay. okay. The way you dress and look when you leave the house, always very put together. Very cute. Maybe simple in your aesthetic, but very cute, very clean. However, your bedroom at home is a disaster zone filled with clothing. <laughs> There's always mess somewhere. Oh, my God. I'm a Libra. <laughs> okay, that's a Libra rising. You've, you have answered the test question affirmatively. Yeah, 100%. Like, even my books are literally, like, I've got them stacked on the floor, clothes on the chair. And I love it. It makes me feel good. Like, I like my belongings, like, organized chaos around me. Okay, so. You won the Libra rising. Yes, I do. And so what does it mean to be a cardinal sign for me? And then what does it mean to be a But where's your rising? man? I, how do I even know that? I told you I'm a complete I mean, novice. You know that because you talked to me. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm going to pull up your chart real quick, but 
within this time frame, you're either an Aquarius moon or a Pisces moon. So let me ask you a couple test questions before we really have this conversation. So would you say that people have ref- people who really are close to you, people in your personal life, have accused you of being cold or uncaring at times? Yeah, sometimes. Okay. Another <laughs> test question. Would you say people who are close to you sometimes tiptoe around you because you're so sensey and emo and they don't want to hurt your feelings? First answer rings more true than the second. You're either 29 degrees Aquarius or zero degrees Pisces. There's 30 degrees to each sign. So your moon's right on the goddamn cusp. I think a cusp, I think a cusp moon makes sense because I do ricochet between either being super sensitive and also like super caring and then being like quite like cold, mechanical, robotic. Yeah, that's Aquarius moon for you. Okay, what were we talking about? Nobody remembers. I was so busy doing stupid things. Tell me everything. We were talking about how to find out your chart if you don't know. Okay. So there's a couple things. The first one is in many countries, but not every country, and certainly not for all ages of people, but in many countries, it's on the birth certificate. So a hospital will um, write down your exact time of birth. So getting your original birth certificate is a way to find out the time of birth. Asking your mom and trusting her ability to remember the exact time when she was giving birth (laughs) is never wise. Like people do it all the time and they're wrong all the time. You know, it's not no criticism of moms. It's like you're thinking of other things a little bit, you know, life and death. Yeah. Life and for two people. (laughs) Exactly. A hundred percent. So finding an accurate time is really important. If you cannot find an accurate time, uh, then you can meet with an astrologer. And this is a very um, niche thing. It's hard to find somebody who can do this. I do this, but I'm not taking clients right now. Um, But there's something called rectification. And it is um, something that allows astrologers to determine the time of birth. And the way that I do it is by timing events that have already happened in your life. So it's very hard to do with people who don't have a good memory of their own past, you know, but if you have a pretty good memory of like, okay, so a major heartbreak when I was 21 was in June, you know, or whatever, like if you can remember it real tight, then it's an easier practice. Um, It can take a minute, you know, it can take some time to do, um, but there are astrologers who do rectification, uh, and that is the way you can determine that time of birth. We've done this in a very broad and simple way in this conversation, where you had an hour window, and you know I asked you a couple test questions mm-hmm. to determine what is accurate for you. So you asked me about cardinal. Mm-hmm. There are different modalities and elements in astrology. Okay, so elements are what you'd expect: earth, air, water, fire. Uh, and then there's these modalities, what, which are like cardinal, mm. mutable and fixed. And they refer to, mm. they refer to the seasons. So there are four zodiac signs per each, um, of these groupings and they refer to seasons because astrology is all about the earth and seasons and all that is natural. So having a Libra rising and being an Aries, those are both cardinal placements. Mm. And that means you are born, mm. um, where solstices exist, right? Like at the changing of the seasons, mutable signs are in the middle of a season. And so they're kind of like, they're more mutable. And then there's fixed signs like your Aquarius moon and fixed signs are what they sound like. They're just like, I hold down the damn season. Don't question me. This is how it gets done. Um, That's how that goes. And so when we look at a birth chart, we're not just looking at each individual placement. Mm -hmm. We're looking at, you know, a person's nature. So the fact that you, for instance, are pretty balanced between fixed, mutable, uh, and cardinal means that you can work on a team with people because you're adaptable. Doesn't mean you're adaptable in all situations. My guess is you're not. However, you are adaptable overall as a person. And um, once you've decided, I want to participate, you become very adaptable once you find your role. Yeah. Then once you find your role, maybe a little less adaptable. But, <laughs> um, but like you, you, can, you can work in a lot of different ways. And that's not going to be true for everybody. Yeah. And this is something I love about astrology is it kind of does an excellent job of teaching us that we are all the same and we are all radically different. Yeah. They're both true. Yeah. And making room for our differences is easier to do with astrology, mm. I feel, uh, because, you know, you're an Aries. We're going to, I'm a Capricorn. We are going to be very similar in some ways and 
the opposite in others. And that's just how that goes. And that's really cool because it's not personal. It's just our wiring. And so what what planets or points in the birth chart dictate creativity or, you know? Interesting. That's a great question. And I will make it complicated because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> Nuance. So Nuance. it depends. Some people's, yeah, some people's creativity comes out of pain and trauma. Mm. Some people's creativity comes out of the fact that they are artists mm. and that's what they're called to do. Some people are neurodivergent and the most effective way that they can communicate is through, you know, quote unquote creativity. Mm right? There's so many ways and so many motivations to be creative that it is not as simple um, as me being able to point to, a, a, you know, an individual point or planet. That said, um, when I, when somebody asks me about creativity and I happen to be looking at her birth chart, what I do is I look to the fifth house because the fifth house in astrology is where we find um, creation, whether it's procreation, like getting pregnant, having kids or making art, mm -hmm or being playful, we look to the fifth house and you have three planets in that house. Yay! So I'm not surprised you asked me that question. Yeah. You're like, I just want to make sure I'm creative. Okay. It's really interesting to me that, like you said, this predisposition towards a certain yeah. behavior yeah. or approach. And, and I wonder how similar is it to identity and background? Is it similar to a birth chart in the sense of you can mm -hmm. overcome this? But this is what this is the, the the cards you've been dealt. Interesting, maybe maybe so. I I've never thought of it that way, so I'm a little hesitant because maybe I'm agreeing and I haven't really thought it through. Because generally speaking, we can see those conditions in the chart. So what what I cannot do is look at your chart and be like, okay, you were definitely born in Sudan, like for sure. Like that's definitely not a thing. I mean, you told you would tell me in order to get the chart, but like that's not a thing one can see. But we can see immigration patterns. We can see whether or not you were raised with religion and whether that religion was um, supportive to your identity and your lived experience or repressive yeah. to those things. Um, we can see whether or not you were raised with violence whether or not that violence was in the home or in the environment, whether or not you um, are able to tolerate that violence might be different than your sibling. So your sibling might have a terrible anxiety disorder from being raised in an environment that had violence in it. And you might be determined and a total leader as a result. So how we respond to our conditions um, and our all, all the other things is... I would say layers more than what you're referring to, although what you're saying isn't, I don't disagree with it, but it's just, um, it's a little. They're more interlinked than juxtaposed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well done. Play. Well played. Well played. Yes. Okay. I mean, that brings me straight into your background, which is incredibly interesting. Jewish, Iraqi, granddaughter of a Polish Holocaust survivor. Whoa. I mean, you know, this is coming from Sudanese British girl who's yeah. always been deemed interesting, exotic. And I'm like, yo, you take the cake with this one, I have to say. <laughs> Thank you very much. I take off my hat to you. Yes. Thank you very much. So tell me, firstly, how this fed into your purpose, what you're doing. Was it a push factor? Was it a pull factor? Uh, tell mm. me all about it. It fed in, in massive ways. It still does. Uh, you know, I grew up in Montreal. Um, and, you know, my experience growing up, I was, I was very racialized. Um, it was very, not a, not an easy, uh, set of backgrounds. I mean, it does, it sounds like Jewish on both sides, but it, it was very conflictual between the two sides, um, of my family. And it really informed, it informed my passion and interest for understanding how our, our culture, our race, our religion, um, how economics, all of these things play into who and what we are and what we choose to be and what we're given, what we're not necessarily giving choices around. So all of that was heavy in my thinking when I was mm -hmm. in my teens. And so when I discovered astrology in a substantive way, I immediately started trying to understand these things in the context of astrology. And this is something that because I'm largely self-taught, I'm kind of a hermity person. Uh, I spent a lot of my 20s alone studying. Um, I 
because of these things, I didn't realize that everyone wasn't doing this. And then when I finally emerged from my like self-imposed cave of study uh, at the end of my 20s, the start of my 30s, I realized that I was doing something that was somewhat unique within the world of astrology. And it is, I'm also a medical astrologer um, mm. and not to brag, kind of a hypochondriac. <laughs> are they linked? And so I, <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Because I, it, to me, studying where you come from, your roots, your background, you can't do that without looking at medical issues, right? And so these things are deeply interlinked. And, you know, living in the U.S., because like I said, I moved here in 94, I, huge amount of the people I work with are from multiple backgrounds, you know, um, or are either they themselves are immigrants, their parents are immigrants, their grandparents are immigrants. Um, and to me, this is a huge part of who we are. And it's a huge part of who we are that we don't really talk about. I just heard the Canadian. I just heard the, <laughs> I got it. Oh yeah. It comes out every once in a while. It comes out every once in a while. I Get ready that. once yeah. it starts. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so when we do talk about it, and I think people are talking about it more in the past couple of years than, than they have in my adult life. But when we do talk about, you know, our our heritage, we do it in an identity mm. politics way. But as an astrologer, I am doing it in a much more spiritual, psychological, yeah. emotional way. So it's more personal, right? And um, all of these things are really interconnected. Now, another thing I'll say is, you know, with my background, I was never encouraged to go to university. I was never encouraged to like develop a career. My family was always like, you better marry rich because that's obviously your best option. And then my ass came out as gay. And uh, I was just like, you know, in the words of Cher, I, I don't need a rich man. I will yeah, be yeah, a rich man. That. You know what I mean? Like, not that I actually cared about riches, but I, um, because I didn't have the pressure of education. I didn't have the pressure of having a career. Um, and I know this is a stereotype of, of American Jews that like they're very well educated or whatever. I, that was not my experience at all um, in my family. But, you know, because of all of these things, I it was a very easy choice for me to just dedicate my life to what I wanted instead of, you know, meeting other people's expectations because there were no expectations on me. So even though it kind of sounds like a negative, you know, it really worked yeah. well for me in my life. But, you know, all of that said, a huge part of what I do as an astrologer is strive to leave my personal preferences, my ideas about the world, all of that stuff at the door when I'm consulting with a client. Because it's mm -hmm. not about me in that hour-long consultation. It is about them. And mm -hmm. I might think that something is a terrible idea that a person wants, but if they want it, if that's their choice, I'm going to support them in making that choice the healthiest thing they can do for them. That was great. No, but also I, I think that that approach probably is what we should all be doing at all times, but it's just a lot of projection yeah. and judgment and, you know, a lack yeah. of safety more than anything I think we're finding these days. With the medical astrology, what planets and what points? Every single planet. <gasps> so in astrology, the place we technically look to see the body, we would look to the first house or the sixth house. And yes, you have three planets in the sixth house. So again, I am not surprised you're asking me these questions. You're asking me the questions that are reflected in your birth chart. Just why? Am I going to die? I'm also hypochondriac. Oh, are you? Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the club. It is terrible. We're all miserable. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have I have loads of allergies. So that probably my body is constantly fearful of attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have Pisces on the sixth house cusp, and that is often associated with, uh, it can be like immune issues or autoimmune issues. It can definitely be allergies. Um, and it just gives you this really sensitive body. And for you, it looks like it's linked into your hormones. Uh, and the sensitivity is not meant as a punishment. It's actually meant, and just be really succinct, to help you have better boundaries. Because oh. boundaries are a massive lesson in your birth chart as I look upon it. And, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And so knowing, like, this is what I know I need in order to be right with myself, and therefore I'm going to give it to myself, that's a fucking boundary. But being like, oh, I know it's a bummer that I can't eat these foods when I'm out at dinner with friends. I'll just be, I'll just suffer. That's yeah. classic Pisces self-harm. And so the kind of lesson of your sensitivities is to have boundaries. 
Mm. That's that's the whole reason why you have the sensitivities from a spiritual standpoint. And that doesn't mean it's not physiological, but every single point in the birth chart can be read from a medical perspective. And, you know, this is like a huge thing that I'm very, very, very passionate about because some things in our physiology are just kind of like locked and loaded, you know, uh, and some things preventative measures can really help with. Yeah, It's valuable to talk to an astrologer who can be like, okay, so I see that, you know, there's type 2 diabetes in your family and it's on your father's side. And if that shit is accurate, then already we can have a real conversation about what is and isn't happening in your body and the best ways to care mm -hmm. for it. And it's tricky. And whenever I talk about this, I want to just reiterate, I am not a doctor. I have no medical training. And consulting with a psychic or an astrologer about medical issues is a fool's errand if it is not paired with actual doctors. You know, we just always want to use common sense with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And with the pandemic, how has that changed the nature of your consultations, the frequency of your consultations? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's been a really difficult mm -hmm. two years for people mass death, yeah. grief, you know, separation. How has that changed your work? Meaningfully. So I saw the pandemic coming in 2017 and I was booking my client work a year in advance. And at the start of 2019, I was booked for the whole year. And I decided in January of 2019 that I would not book anything for 2020 because I knew what was coming. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made. And it was a real bummer in 2019 in every single consultation, saying to people, mm, maybe wait on the brick and mortar business. Maybe don't do that. Maybe save yeah. your money. Maybe don't quit your job. Like I felt terrible being so negative all the time. So I do meet with clients a little bit here and there, but I'm not, I used to, you know, for 20 something years, I was a full-time consultant, so like astrology, uh, astrologer, practicing with clients, but I'm not doing that currently. And I have no intention to do it again until the pandemic is done. Mm. And that will be some time from now. So. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to just not, not be able to share uh, knowing that you're going to scare people. It was pretty terrible. I'm not going to lie. Going through the pandemic as a medium was, it is, really hard and also living through it and predicting it at the same time is really not great for my nervous system if I'm being honest of course yeah yeah is there this is is there always this sense of like impending doom for me yes at this time yes mm-hmm on a on a better note <laughs> <laughs> well because I, I wanted to come back to you're practicing astrology you're working with tarot you're a psychic you're communicating with animals. You're working as a medium. What the hell are you being bombarded <laughs> like 24-7 with all these things that want to basically work through you? And how do you deal with that? And how do you develop these crafts both in parallel and simultaneously? Mm. You know, like Yeah. So to to your last question, the answer is over time and with much practice, intention, and boundary work. You know, I did not start my practice. Um, being able to weave in uh, current politics in the way I do now. I couldn't have done that. You know, I was busy doing other things. I spent, you know, the first decade of my, um, of my career focused on astrology and not anything psychic or intuitive at all. Um, you know, it takes time. That's really the answer. And I think anyone who is in any field, you can look at people who've got decades of experience and compare yourself to them. And that's a terrible idea. Like to get those 10,000 hours, there's no other way to do it, but over time and to have those 10,000 hours be quality 10,000 hours takes intention plus mm -hmm. time. So that's, that's the answer in terms of your other question. I can feel bombarded at times. If we take away the whole pandemic, you know, working on boundaries is like one of the most important things that I do. I'm often terrible at it. I'm often good at it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a practice. And yeah, I work, I work really hard on boundaries. Now, the pandemic has been a whole other thing. It's been really difficult. Um, the amount of dead people that I have 
um, encountered is has been alarming and very difficult um, for me. I don't know many mediums, but the ones I do know have had similar experiences. Um, it's really rough. Mm. Um, it's it's really terrifying to die alone, mm. you know. And yeah. most people who pass from COVID globally um, are dying alone, and uh, they're really scared. And so that's been really, really hard. Um, it's been really hard. And I take COVID safety incredibly seriously. I have not a mm. single cavalier bone in my body about it because of that experience that I've had. It's also, it is revealing us to ourselves, you know, as individuals and as, a, as societies. Um, you know, the level of toxic individualism that is just part of the human condition is always shocking, even if it's not surprising. And the way that, you know, capitalism functions, the way that like making money and protecting businesses functions, all of that is very complex. You know, people need to make a living. Um, and also, you know, absolutely, we are putting business first in front of lives. And that's mm -hmm. real rough. It's real rough. So, yeah, all of this is uh, a shit show, if I may. Yeah. I think that brings us to this impending doom question, which <laughs> actually isn't as straightforward as it sounds. It's about 2022. <laughs> um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. What is in the cards? What is in the stars? Should we start stockpiling again? Yes. <laughs> still? Yes. Still. Not again. Still. Still. You know, what's going on? What do you what do you see? Well, broadly speaking, the U.S. is going through a really tumultuous time, which is going to get more tumultuous and intense as we approach the Pluto return of this nation. And while I know you're not in the States, uh, you know, we're so loud. We're so loud. Like, best of luck avoiding <laughs> this empire's falling. Like, best of luck it not having, you know, debris spread all over the fucking world. Um, so there's a lot going on here and I think it will have global impact. Um, there are a lot of really scary and bad indications for the year ahead. And within that, there is a meaningful danger of the spread of disinformation and misinformation, especially in a cultish or religious way. Um, and we may have this like ongoing, uh, issue of misinformation and disinformation only getting worse instead of better. And of course, associated with that is the spread of COVID-19. Um, and the more any airborne virus spreads, the more chance it has to mutate and you don't need an astrologer to fill out what that means. Um, but it ain't good is that is that is a statement I can make. So 2022 starts off with a Venus retrograde and the year ends with a Mars retrograde. And the way I'm going to, there's a lot of things I can and will say about it on my podcast, yada, yada. But what I can say is that 2022 is a year in which we are on call to revisit our values, to really mm -hmm. reflect on our values and to change our values if they need adjusting and to make sure that we are embodying and acting on our values. And this is because Venus is the planet that governs our value systems. And mm -hmm. this is reflected, yes, in finances, yes, in intimate relationships, but also in who we take care of and who we who we abuse, who we abandon as societies, mm -hmm. you know, um, and Mars is a planet that governs embodiment and action. And so when planets go retrograde, it is a time for reviewing and reflecting. And it is also a time when changes can really happen, but it, it, those changes require that we look back. You know, we look back at our mm -hmm. own conduct. And so to me, seeing these retrogrades, you know, at the start and end of the year is a really succinct message. And that message is uh, to really consider what you value and how you are mm -hmm. living those values. And mm -hmm. if we do that as 
communities and as a society, as a society of humans and then societies based on where we live, if we all are doing that, we will still have conflict. You know, we will still have we will still have all kinds of drama because some people's values are <laughs> terrible and some people's values are not uh, by my estimation of the mm-hmm. um, but. But at least, you know, we will have the more uh, liberal and progressive people better engaged. The, the trouble is the trouble is if you're struggling for survival and you're burnt out by the suffering of others, it's easy to just put your head down, you know. Mm. And this is, I think, the failing of a lot of liberal so, mm-hmm. communities, especially in the spiritual world that I live, you know, a lot of empaths or uh HSPs. It's a term I've learned from young people, highly sensitive people. It's all the rage these days. <laughs> it is. It is. Everybody's at HSP. Everybody's a Claire. Um, and, you know, I'm not for it or against it. I've just, it's just new. Um, so I, a problem with highly sensitive people or empathetic people is that I have noticed that what a huge number of them do is say, well, I'm sensitive, so I can't read the news. I'm sensitive, so I can't go to a protest. Switch yeah, off. Yeah. yeah. It's like my sensitivities empower me to not be a part of the solution because I'm too sensitive. And to that, I say bullshit. If the universe or God or whatever you think it is gave you the gift of sensitivity, it's not so you put your head in the sand. It's so that you get informed, know what you're sensitive to. And those are the things that are aligned with your calling. Those that are aligned with your calling. You know, in my later 30s, I started developing sensitivities Mm. to weather. I don't know why, but I started developing sensitivities to weather. So I became more informed about environmental issues because that was what my sensitivities were telling me. And much like I said to you when we were talking about like your allergies, it's Mm. all about boundaries. It's the same thing with our sensitivities um, on the psychic mental or spiritual, you know, levels. We, we are meant to listen to those sensitivities and have them inform us around where we need to protect, not just ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, but others. And easier said than done. It cannot be done by all people at all times. Uh, but it is certainly, there's a lot of people living with a lot of privileges that just don't want to be uncomfortable with what the world is. And I I want to hug and shake and then hug again and then shake and then (laughs) hug again and then one last shake and now go. I want people to do more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I was going to ask you, what advice do you find yourself giving people again and again? And I feel like it's been nicely laced into that response. But if there's something Mm -hmm. that you feel like you want to reiterate, please do. There are so many things that I end up saying to people over and over again. One is don't abandon yourself. The other, because we're constantly abandoning ourselves for others, out of fear, whatever it is. Uh, Another piece of advice I often hear myself giving is maybe what you would not consider advice, but I do consider advice. It's, I ask people, why do you want that? That's such a good question. And and a basic question that is often overlooked, which is, do you want this and why? Exactly. Why? Can I tell you how many times I've had cis women come into my office and say, when will I get married? When will I have kids? And I say, why do you want kids? Why do you want to get married? And most of the time, most of the time, I'm the first person to ever ask them those questions. Hmm. And they're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable with the question. And if you're uncomfortable with the question, why do you want this? That means Hmm. you don't know. Or you Hmm. maybe don't want it. And that's great information because when we find that there's something within us that is unclear, uncertain, whatever it is, that's a cause for investigation and interest. Reflection, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We need to be interested in our own assumptions because if we can do that, we can become more informed and maybe it confirms our assumptions and maybe it changes them, whatever. Over the course of life, if you want to be healthy and well with yourself, you got to be willing to change your mind. You got to be willing to change. And, you know, unfortunately, the Wayback Machine exists. And so the internet keeps us locked in whatever it is that we publish at whatever time. But that's not really how humans are. Hopefully we grow and we change. So asking ourselves why we want a thing is really important. Mm -hmm. And it is really important in 2022. Again, reflecting on our values and how we embody them or not, uh, can make a massive impact on our individual lives and Mm -hmm. on how we participate within society. 
which is really deep and important shift. I don't know why I really wanted you to be like, it's going to be great. More vaccines. Everyone's going to get vaccinated. <laughs> We're all going to be. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Everybody's going to be super pro vaccine uh, and use common sense first and foremost. I mean, I will say part of what's difficult about being an astrologer in these in these times is that it's not just about one's capacity to be to to read the signs, right? It's also about one's capacity to see mm. difficult things and not turn away. And that is a that is a little bit of personality, a little bit of skill, a little bit of mm. like lived experience, you know. I'm from refugees on both sides. So it's not hard for me to look at these things mm. because I've always seen them. And I, you know, know a lot of astrologers who just, you know, they don't have any kind of uh, lived experience around that kind of trauma. And so it's hard for mm. them to believe it could possibly happen to them. Um, but mm. bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen for no reason sometimes. And if we can find meaning within our suffering, it can transform the suffering. It doesn't take away the suffering. Um, sometimes it doesn't even minimize the suffering. But to have meaning within suffering it can empower us to be determined and productive and ethical when it would be easiest for us to fall apart, shut down and be an asshole to ourselves or others. And, you know, this is a huge part kind of back to your question about like how my background informs me. I mean, that is a big part of how my background informs me. And, you know, I'm a big believer in questioning everything. And so I do hope that for 2022, that we become better consumers of news uh, we become more conscious consumers of social media. Uh, we are more careful about our cybersecurity and our rights. And more accountable. Yeah. Th it's, that's all about being accountable. Yeah. About the world we live in. And, you know, we can't expect our governments to do it. And we certainly can't trust corporations to do it. So how do we do it with each other and for each other? Speaking to Jessica was an eye-opening crash course in an age-old craft that we now take for granted and lump in with popular culture. What I took from the conversation was the importance of working with our predisposed tendencies for our betterment. Birth charts can be a great tool for self-study and an opportunity to connect to the collective experience. Thanks so much for coming along on this journey with me, delving into the creative journeys of different artists and thinkers from around the world. I hope you found it helpful. Be sure to listen back to all the episodes we have up and let us know what you think. You can keep in touch with me at Yusra al and for more digital content at Soul DXB. You're listening to Soul Radio. 